the all-glorious one. We thank you that you love us, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you sent your son Jesus for us. And I pray now that as we open up your word, that we would hear from you. God, bless this time. Transform us, change our hearts as we meet with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are lots of things in this world that are hard to explain. For example, why in the world does Fergus Falls not have a Taco Bell? I have not... <laughs> it just does not make sense to me. Um, okay, that, that maybe is not one of life's great questions. Maybe it's one of life's good questions, but it is not like one of life's great questions. But there are other questions in life that are, that are very deep, very important, and things that, questions that most people, most human beings, struggle with at some point in their lives. Questions like, for example, if there is a loving God, how is it then that evil things happen in this world? That, that's kind of a trump card that atheists use. If you've ever had an argument with an atheist or, or a discussion with an atheist, a lot of times they just come back to that one and say, but wait, I've got you here. There is evil in this world, and if there is a good God, how do you explain that? Now, one of the quick answers I like to give to that question is, well, we've also got a problem of good. If there's a problem with evil, there's also a problem of good. How do you explain the good? But either way you look at it, I, I would hope that we would have answers to those questions. Or another question, a really important question, it's pretty similar to the question of the problem of evil, but the question is this. If there is a good and loving God, why does he allow death? Anybody here ever struggled with death? Anybody here ever watched a loved one die and, and say, why in the world does this have to happen? Anybody here ever contemplated your own death or even perhaps almost faced your own death and, and asked the question of, like, what is this? Why is it that this happens? And, and even for us as Christians, the question is perhaps even a little bit more profound because we learn in, right away in Genesis 1 that when God created man and woman, he created them in his image, None of the other parts of creation were like that. Not the stars, not the fish, not the animals. It is we, human beings, who are created in God's image. So why in the world would God let his image bearers face something as horrific as death? Now, the reason that I ask all these questions, my sermon today is not necessarily designed to answer all of those questions in detail, but the reason I ask them is because I would think that we as Christians would hope to have answers to those questions. I would hope that what we say we believe about God actually makes sense of this world that we live in with all of its peculiarities and abnormalities and all those things. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture with, which I think explains the answer to these questions. And again, I'm not going to go into great detail on the problem of evil today, but what I do want to do is I want to show you where evil came from. But then also I want to show you God's solution to that problem. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. We're going through a sermon series here at Cornerstone where we're looking at Romans chapters 1 through 8. So if you've just joined us today, you've kind of jumped into the middle of our sermon series. But we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And we're going to break that section into three smaller sections today. And in the first section, we're going to look at the origin of sin and death. We're going to get answers to those questions. And then in the second and third sections, we're going to compare and contrast two very important people that walked this earth at one time, 
two people that stand as kind of symbols for humanity, Adam and Jesus. And we're going to compare and contrast them. Okay, so first we're going to look at Romans 5, verses 12 through 14, and I would like to read them now. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Okay, again, my first point here has to do with the origin of sin and death. We should, we should know where these things came from. If we don't have answers to those questions, I would say that we should look elsewhere. But I think that God has given us the answers to those questions. So again, one of the questions I asked earlier, why in the world would God allow death? And we see the answer here. Death came through sin. And don't misunderstand it. I don't think it's true at all to say that God couldn't have done anything to stop it. It's not like God was watching his creation and then, and then said, oh no, something went wrong. And No, that's, that's not the God we serve. I think the better way to understand this is that God lets us make choices. And, and that's a valuable thing that God lets us do because God wants us to place our faith in him. But in the midst of us making choices, we all inevitably make really terrible choices sometimes. And that's what sin is. We have two paths set before us, one path that leads our own way and one path that leads God's way. And all too often, we choose the wrong path. And the result of that is sin and death. Remember how that first happened. And here's where we go back to the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve. And when he, uh, we're going to just look at Adam today. Eve is still there. We understand that. But we're just really just going to look at Adam today. When God created Adam, it was a perfect place for Adam to live in. He had all that he needed. He had a relationship with God. And God gave him one rule, one thing not to do. What did he say? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And remember what he said to Adam when he said in uh, Genesis 2.17, he said, when you eat of it, you will surely die. And unfortunately, Adam did eat from that tree. He did the one thing that God told him not to do. He broke a command of God. And when he ate from it, God told him his punishment. And included in that punishment is the punishment of death. Now, I believe that the best way to understand that death, as we read about in Genesis 3, it's really two kinds of death. Spiritual death and physical death. So, before that, that for humanity, that kind of death was not in the world. Let me describe. Physical death. This is the one where Adam was told that he was going to die. God told him, I'm paraphrasing here, dust you are, to dust you will return. And in that way, death came to Adam, and through him it came to all of us. That's where our physical death came from. It's from Adam's sin and from our sin. But then also that death that Adam was told about was a spiritual death. And that's actually the worst one. Remember what happened to Adam after he sinned? He was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. He, he used to live in the Garden of Eden with this wonderful fellowship with God, and when he sinned, God kicked him out, and his fellowship with God was hindered. And that's what sin does to us. It separates us from God. And if left unchecked, if we were to die in our sin, that would mean for us eternal separation from God. And there would be nothing that we could do about it. So all of that came about from Adam's sin. 
Adam's sin infected the whole human race. And I think the way that we can understand that now is that we look back and we look where we came from. We came from Adam, and due to his sin, we were all born with a sinful nature. And I like the way how our, our denomination statement of faith describes this. It says that we are sinners by nature and by choice. So for us to be sinners by nature means that we all inherited this sinful nature. Every single one of us here was born with a sinful nature. That means that we were born with a tendency to sin, with a tendency to continue to sin. Every single one of us struggled with that inside of us, actually because of this sinful nature that was passed on down to us from Adam all the way through to us. So we are sinners by nature. But also we are sinners by choice. And what that means is that it's not just that we can blame the sinful nature. When we do something wrong, we can't just look at God and say, God, it's not my fault. I got this sinful nature. Adam gave it to me and it's not my fault. No, we can't say that. We are also sinners by choice. Meaning that when the choice has been set before us to either go our own way or to go God's way, all too often we choose the wrong way. So... On the one hand, we could say death came into this world because of Adam's sin, but I would say that it's also equally accurate to say that there is death in this world because of our sin. That, that we have proven ourselves over and over and over by our actions to be just like Adam, and he simply stands as a representative of what each one of us would have done eventually, which we have, we have proven that by our sin. We have all done things that God has told us not to do. That's where sin and death comes from. In verse 12 it says, um, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Because all sinned. Uh, The wording there in Romans 5.12 in Greek is the exact same as the wording in 3.23. That famous verse that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here we see it again. Every single one of us has sinned. And because of that sin, death came into the world. Verses 13 to 14 go on to tell us that sin was in the world as well, uh, even before the law was given. So Adam sinned by breaking a command, but then there was this period of time before the law was given where there were all sorts of people roaming around the earth doing all sorts of terrible things. And, And the Bible tells us here that even though they may not have been breaking a specific law that was given, they were still sinning. And there's these two categories of sin that we've been talking about here. There's sin and there's trespass. Trespass is when we know that we've broken a law that God has told us. Sin is when we just fall short of God's glory. And, and the truth is that sin has, has been in the world ever since Adam's first sin. And we see both of those kinds of sin in our lives. We see us not measuring up to God's perfect standard. That's sin. And we also see us trespassing. That's us doing things that God has told us not to do. Both of those sins. And the punishment for sin is death. Now we might think that's harsh. Have you ever ever stopped to think about that? One sin of Adam. One sin. God told him not to eat fruit from a tree. He ate fruit from it. God brought death to Adam. Not just to Adam, but to all humanity. Physical death and spiritual death. Have Have you ever thought that that's too harsh? Well, I think God has a good reason for doing it. I think God wants to show us how serious sin is. Do you know how serious sin is? It is so serious that one act of sin would be enough to separate us from God for eternity. So, 
if we're playing the comparison game and we're comparing ourselves to other people on this earth and saying, you know what, I don't think I've sinned as much as they have. Well, try it this way. Have you ever sinned? Have you ever in your life even committed one sin? Look at the punishment for that one sin of Adam and think about how serious your sin, my sin, is. It is a huge deal. It is a very big deal. And God wants to know us. That's why God sent death. I think God sent death in many ways as a wake-up call to us so that we would realize how serious our sin problem is. Now, we're going to see God's solution to that. But for right now, I, I want you to know that this death that we see is a result of our sins. It's a punishment for sin. Any death you see, you can know that that's where it came from. And I'd just like to say one other point on death. That death was not God's plan then. God's plan was for something far better. He wanted Adam and Eve to live with him in, in paradise. He, he doesn't want us to, to, to live in death forever. He sent Jesus so that we could be rescued out of that. So anytime you see death of any kind around you, whether that's a, a 100-year-old who dies after a long, full life, or whether it's a, a miscarriage or whatever it is, you can know that death is not part of, of God's original plan and God has a, a solution to defeat death eventually. So we can rejoice in that. But for now, I want you to know that, that sin is a huge problem. Um, okay. We're going to move on to God's solution eventually, but before I do that, I want to take a little bunny trail. You guys want to come on a little bunny trail with me? Uh, every once in a while when I read through Scripture, I see a theological issue. Like, other people would read the Bible and they would read this passage very differently than we would. And I want to I show you one of those issues here. The issue has to do with Adam and the question, was Adam a real person? Uh, my answer to that question is yes, Adam was a real person. But some people, even some Christians now, increasingly are answering that question with a no, that Adam was not a real person, that Adam and Eve were just mythological figures, and that what we read about them in Genesis 1-3 through 3 was just kind of a story, maybe a story that Moses made up just to kind of, in story form, tell us how God maybe kind of created. So what do you believe? Is Adam a real person? Some of you might be thinking, well, what does it matter, whether it's a story or a myth? Well, let me tell you why it matters. If, if it's a myth, if Genesis 1-3 through 3 is just a myth and it's not reality, then we can perhaps insert our own reality into there and, and come up with our own way that, that the universe came into existence, that we came into existence. And one of, those, one of the ways that a lot of people are trying to insert into that would be evolution. Now think about it. Genesis 1-3 through 3 tells us that God created Adam from the dust of the earth. It does not say that God created Adam through a process and through eventually an ape changing into a man. It doesn't say that. It says from the dust of the earth, God made him, breathed life into him. And, and if we take out this idea that Adam was a real person, then we can very easily insert evolution into it. So what's our answer? Well, I want to show you very quickly four reasons from the Bible why I think that we should believe that Adam is a real person. And the first one is here in Romans 5. It compares him to Christ as a man. It's going to eventually call him the one man Adam, the same as the one man Jesus Christ. So there's a comparison between Jesus as a real man and Adam as a real man. Second, and I think this is a pretty powerful one, Adam is listed in some of the genealogies of the Bible. You know, those, those places that we often skip over where it says the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, and not real interesting reading, but they're very important because in one of those, in Luke, we see that Jesus Christ was eventually the son of Adam. 
So my challenge to people who don't think that Adam is a real person is I want to give them a red marker and I want them to go in their Bible and draw a line where the people stop becoming real and where they start becoming myths. Because in the Bible it just says he was the son of 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 and then you get Jesus Christ. And I think it's actually a really important thing theologically for us to realize that Jesus Christ came from a real man. Adam was a real man. He had real kids who had real kids. Third, in Matthew 19, Jesus affirmed the story of creation. So he was talking about divorce there, but in his, in his ch- answer to these people who were challenging him, he went back to Genesis 1 and 2 and he quoted it as authoritative scripture. said, God created them male and female. Jesus is affirming what was written in Genesis 1 through 3. And then fourth, Acts 17.26 tells us that from one man, God made every nation of men. From one man, God made every nation of men. I think that we have every reason to believe that Adam was a real person. And it's important. Again, if I already mentioned our sinful nature came from him. That means that our sinful nature came from a real person, just like us. We are descended from him. Our sinful nature came from him. Okay? Uh, if any of you have more questions on that, you can ask me later. We're going to move on for now to the rest of Romans 5. Now, I used to be really confused by the rest of Romans 5. Um, and somebody actually came up to me last week and said the same thing. And I was confused because it seems to just go intermittently between comparison and contrasting, and I couldn't really figure out the flow of it. But it's much more clear to me now, and I hope I can clear it up for you. And let me just say this to clarify. Verses 15 through 17 are about contrast, contrasting Adam and Jesus. And then verses 18 through 21 are about comparison between Adam and Jesus. Now, when we compare and contrast things, you think like an apple and an orange. If I were to compare them and contrast them with you, it, if I were to compare them, for instance, I, I might say things like they're both fruit. Even though one is red and one is orange, they're both fruit. So I, I'm, I'm showing you something that's the same about them, but I'm still acknowledging their difference. And it'd be the same thing. If I'm going to contrast them, I, I might say even though they're both healthy, they both have different kinds of vitamins in them. So when you're comparing, you're even still kind of contrasting, and when you're contrasting, you're still kind of comparing. So that's what was confusing to me here, but I hope it's cleared up by realizing that the point is first to, to contrast Adam and Jesus, and then to compare. Okay, so let's move on then um, to verses 15 through 17, but actually before I do that, I want to give you another homework assignment. Uh, if, if Some of you have told me you do these homework assignments, so that's why I give them. If you want to learn more about the comparison between Adam and Jesus, you can read 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 for more. Okay. Verses 15 through 17. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So again, my second point here today, we're contrasting Adam and Jesus. And in verse 15, the two key words of contrast are gift and trespass. Adam sinned, Adam trespassed, and it led to death for many. However, Jesus came and gave a gift, and his gift leads to life for many. So you could also say that the contrast here is between death and life. Adam brought death, 
Jesus brought life. And it reminds me of Romans 6.23. I'm sure it's a verse that many of you have memorized. If you don't, I would recommend that you memorize it. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then moving on to verse 16, the contrast is between Christ's gift again, but this time with the judgment that came as a result of Adam's sin. So it's gift versus judgment. Adam's sin brought judgment and condemnation. His sin brought death for all of us. And remember, it's physical death, but it's also spiritual death. That, that's what Adam brought. But Christ's gift is justification. And there's that word again, that word that if you're really going to understand Romans, you really should understand what justification means. It's a word that means to be declared righteous. It's an important word because we are not righteous on our own. We need righteousness if we're going to have salvation, but we don't have it on our own. So God, in his mercy, gives us that righteousness. He declares us righteous if we have received this gift from Jesus, if we have received Jesus himself as our Savior and Lord. So, so the gift is that we can be justified, declared righteous. So we talked about the problem of evil already. Well, here's the problem or the blessing of good. And it's that we know that we are sinful people, that we are fallen humanity, but God in his love sent Jesus for us. We don't deserve that. How do you explain that? The only way to explain it is that there is a God who loves us. How should a holy God respond to us sinners? Let let me ask you a question. How do you respond when people sin against you? Or or think about some wicked person in this earth. How how does a wicked person respond when someone sins against them? We know the pattern, right? Somebody does something wicked to you. It's so natural for us to do something wicked in response. How should God respond to us sinners? Well, he responds with grace and mercy and love. Now, every once in a while when I'm preaching, uh, I look back at my sermon and I feel like, boy, I just did not do justice to that that verse or that passage or whatever it was. And, and I felt that way very much so last week about Romans 5.8. And, and by the way, I don't feel bad about this. The reason that I feel like my words don't measure up is because God's word is so much better than my words. But I left last Sunday's sermon feeling like, Romans 5.8 is so much better than what I gave it credit for. Even though I tried to explain its majesty, I just feel like I fell so far short. So I want to go back to it again. And and mostly what I just want you to do is I want you to look at it. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners. God in his love Jesus for us. If you have any questions still about God's goodness, I want you to look at that verse. I want you to look at how unworthy we are and how good God is and how he sent his son. Because God knew us. He, he knew that we were sinners and he could have just condemned us. He could have, you know, he kicked Adam out of the Garden of Eden. He could have just kicked us out and said, you guys, just go to hell forever. He could have said that and been justified in doing it. But in his love, he wanted to do something better for us. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is the love and the mercy of God. And I think it's the best way to explain this world. It's the best way to understand what happened 2,000 years ago. It's also the best way to understand ourselves as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with being the people that we don't want to be. 
we can look at God and say, oh yeah, He wants to rescue me. He sent His Son to rescue me. And if we have faith in Him, we get to live with Him forever. It's God's good plan for any who receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Okay, let's move on now. Um, Verse 17, another contrast. And here the contrast is again between death and life. Again, Adam's sin brought death, but Christ's gift is life. We were not created to die. If you look back at Genesis 1, the, the purpose of creating Adam was not that he would die. And again, as we look at any death around us, any death of a human being, we can understand that that came about as a result of, of sin. It's the, it's the punishment of sin. But God has something better. God has life. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. And, and listen to this about God's heart for you, not wanting you to die. First Peter, uh, excuse me, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God doesn't want any to perish. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us that God wants all people to be saved. And eventually, as we learn in 1 Corinthians 54, this statement will be true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death is not God's hope or plan for us. He has something much better for us. And then one other cool thing about verse 17, it's not just that we get to have life, it says there that we get to reign in life. Like reign as kings. And that that to me gives this word picture of an abundance, a blessing that God wants to pour out on us. Okay, so the contrast in verses through 15 through 17, I just simply summarize it by saying that we, like Adam, deserve death, but God in his mercy gives us the gift of life. Seven times in those verses we see words like gift or grace. Very similar words showing us that God wants to give us a gift of eternal life and a relationship with him. Okay, let's move on then uh, to our third point where we're going to compare Adam and Jesus. Comparing Adam and Jesus. Verses 18 through 21. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in verse 18, the comparison is between one act of Adam and one act of Jesus. For Adam it was an act of sin, but for Jesus an act of righteousness. And just as through Adam's act, condemnation came to all men, so also through Christ's righteousness, it says uh, justification brings life to all men. So if it was one sin that knocked this world off course, it is one act of righteousness by Jesus that sets it back on course. And then if we go to verse 19, the comparison is how through the action of Adam um, and through the action of Jesus, many people were made into something. Through Adam, many people were made sinners, but through Jesus, many people were made righteous. Through Adam's disobedience, we were made sinners, and actually the, the sinful nature that was, was then passed down from him all the way down to us. And like Adam, we all chose to sin. But through Jesus Christ, through his obedience, many will be made righteous. And just to clarify then, when it talks about Jesus' righteousness and his obedience here, it talks about one act that's probably talking about the cross. Jesus had to go to the cross to fulfill all righteousness. It was God's plan. Jesus had to be obedient to that plan. And, and Jesus did it. 
So through his act of obedience and his righteousness, we can actually be declared righteous. Okay, now let me pause again for another little bunny trail. Uh, I think you might find this one interesting, I hope. Some people read verses 18 and 19 in a very different way than we do. Some people look at verses 18 through 19 and pick out phrases like, life for all men, and many will be made righteous, and they assume that eventually everybody's going to be saved. That, that idea, that belief is called universalism. It's the idea that it doesn't really even matter what you do, what you believe, because eventually God's just going to save everybody. Here's their argument. If everyone was made a sinner through Adam... By comparison, everyone will be made righteous through Christ. We had no choice in the matter. We were, death came to us through Adam, not through what we did, but through what he did. In the same way then, they say, life will come to all of us through Jesus Christ, not because of what we did, but for, for what he did for everybody. Now, if we were only to look at these two verses, maybe you could make that point. But that's not how we study the Bible. The way that we have to study the Bible, there's a a very simple phrase. Um, Many of you have probably heard it. Context is king. You've heard that one? Okay. So let's look at the context of verses 18 and 19. Again, if you just look at those verses, maybe you could say, oh, it looks like everybody's going to be saved. Well, look at the verse right before it. In verse 17, it talks about uh, those who receive, those who receive God's abundant provision. If we widen our context a little bit to the rest of the book of Romans, we see very clearly that we are to receive Jesus Christ by faith. One of those verses is Romans 3.22. It says, Righteousness comes from God, excuse me, righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 10.9 would be another very clear verse. Or if you look at the context of the whole Bible, we realize that Jesus sent his son and that we must decide which path we're going to choose. A lot of verses talk about that. So, if we let context show us the answer here, what we realize is that Jesus Christ came to bring life for all men, but it's only for those who believe, only for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and follow him. Now, just one application on that. Um, The universalists would say, you know, they'd look at our friend or our, our neighbor who is just living a terribly horrible, wicked life, and they might say, you know what, they're kind of messing up their life now, but it's okay, God will save them eventually. What do we say? We say they need to know how they can be saved. They need to know about Jesus Christ. God does not want them to die in their sin, and we do not want them to die in their sin. So we bring the gospel message to people so that they can be saved. That is God's plan of salvation through the gospel, and he has asked us to be people who bring that message to others. Okay, moving on. Verse 20, we read that the law came so that trespass might increase. It's kind of this interesting verse. Uh, one of the reasons for the law was that so that we would understand what sin is. So when we read a law that says, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, we understand then that what we have done is wrong and actually trespass it increases. Because have you ever noticed that when somebody tells you not to do something, that's kind of maybe when you get the idea to do that thing you're not supposed to do? And that's what happened with the law. But it was meant to show sin in us. The law was actually never meant to bring life. Life was meant to come through Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in verse 21. So let's move on there. And that's our final comparison. And here the comparison is how sin reigned in death and how grace reigns in life. Through Adam's sin, death came. And it says that, that sin reigned in death. 
But God sent Jesus so that we could have life. I hope you know that. I hope you know that our only hope for life is in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Again, this is God's heart for us. He doesn't want us to die. He wants us to have life, eternal life. So he sent Jesus. Okay. So we've walked through this passage now. I hope that I've helped you understand some things about this passage. But what are we supposed to do with it? The point in reading the Bible isn't just simply that we would understand things to be true, although that's important. The point is that we would move on from there and learn how to apply what God has taught us. So let me just recap very quickly the things that are true in this passage, and then we'll get to application. Okay. All of us, like Adam, have sinned. And because of sin, death came into this world. Physical death, but also separation from God. And this explains our world. And if you're talking to people out there who don't understand our world, just simply tell them, all of the evil stuff you see, whether it's on the news, or whether it's your neighbor, or whether it's your own sin, all of the yucky stuff in this world came about because of sin. It explains everything. However, God sent Jesus so that we could have life. We must receive him. Okay? This passage says those things. It tells us those things to be true. What do we do with it? Well, first, if it tells us we need to receive Jesus, then we better receive Jesus. If you have not yet received Jesus, you have not yet received forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. But God's offer to you is that you can do that. So if you're thinking, I'm not sure I've ever done that, you can just talk to God right now and ask to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. As Savior, Jesus will forgive you. He'll give you eternal life. And as Lord, that means that you submit to him and you, you agree to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. And then from there, what are we supposed to do? We are to keep following him. Uh, funny little story from my family this week. I didn't ask Anna if I could tell this story, but I think she'll be okay. and She's not here anymore. That's my two-year-old you know how we end every service with these benediction verses, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him? I was going to test her to see if she knew those verses. So I was going to have her fill in the blank. And I said, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in, and I was going to let her answer, and she answered, Fargo. We've <laughs> 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 got a little bit left to do with her. But, uh, <laughs> Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Although they do have Taco Bells in Fargo, so that would not be a bad thing. We are to keep following Jesus, okay? We, we are to receive him, and after we receive him, we are to continue to live in him. Now, I hope what we've done so far today has not just been an academic experience of learning things to be true or just simply comparing and contrasting, like you go into a laboratory environment and you compare and contrast two things. I hope it's more than that. And, and let me get to some very specific application now. We all are like Adam. Adam had a choice set before him and he chose to sin. He set a pattern for us, and that pattern is so easy for us to follow. Here's the pattern. I see what I want, I'm going to go do it. That's the pattern of sin. It's the pattern that many, 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 many times in our lives we have followed. And if we think about how serious sin is, think about it. One sin of Adam led to physical and spiritual death for all humanity. Think then about the, the billions and billions of sins that we have added on top of that. It is not God's plan for us to live like that. But praise the Lord, Jesus Christ came, and he actually set a better pattern. 
He sets a pattern of following God's will and submitting to Him. We have a choice set before us now. Are we going to live like Adam or are we going to live like Christ? We've spent enough time living like Adam. Every one of us. Every one of us has gone our own way. I know this because I know I've done it. I've gone my own way. Let's choose now to live according to the pattern that Christ gave us. Obeying the Father. Walking by faith. Honoring God in all that we do. We are not to live for sin anymore. And in saying that, I'm kind of reminding myself, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in the sermon series, because in chapter 6, Paul's going to go there. But I want to point out for you a verse in chapter 6, verse 11, which I think, I've already picked out my key verse for Romans as 117, but this one might be my second key verse. Romans 6:11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin. Meaning we don't choose to go there anymore. God lets us, God let Adam go and do it. God will let us continue to sin if we want to. Let's not go there. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It means that we follow Him. It means we keep our eyes on Him. It means we spend time with Him. It means that we commit to doing things that will help us grow in our faith. And we do all of those things to honor God because God gives us life. And we find that in doing those things, we can live the life that is truly life. It's ironic because we follow the path of sin thinking that it will bring us life, but it doesn't. It's a counterfeit. It's a lie. Life is found as we follow Jesus Christ. So count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Eventually, one of the wonderful things about the Bible, God is going to make us like Christ. In Romans 8, we learn that we're going to be glorified. We're going to be made like Christ. But for now, our purpose in life is to become more like Him. It means we have a, a choice to make, though. Two paths set before us. One of sin, one of life. Which one will you follow? Let's follow Christ. God wants to give us a gift through Christ. The gift of eternity and the gift of a relationship with Him that happens even now. And in that new life, uh, one word just real quick, Grace in verse 20. Grace increased all the more. God's grace, God's gift for us is forgiveness and life. Let's praise God for that grace. Let's praise Him by living for Him all the days of our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for these gifts. Even as we think about how terrible our sin is and how, how right You were to punish sin with death, uh, we thank you that in your mercy you brought life through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we would all know Jesus Christ. And if anyone doesn't here yet know Jesus Christ, God, uh, we pray that even right now they would invite Jesus to be Savior and Lord. And God, for those of us who have already received Jesus as our Lord, we pray that we would continue to live in him, that we would not follow that sinful pattern of Adam, but that we would follow Christ. God, we know that we can't do that in our own strength, so we pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit to live the lives that you want us to live. So God, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your plan for new life for us. God, you are very good. We love you and we praise you. And we pray that we would follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.